You're listening to Smogland Radio. Broadcasting from the bus stops, backyard barbecues, and picket lines of Los Angeles. I'm your host, Nancy Mesa. Welcome to a new episode of Smogland Radio, a production of Alley Public Press. Each episode, we're going to be going on a little journey across LA together. This is your news podcast about the city we all hate to love and love to hate. But first, here are some headlines from this week's news. It's a hot labor summer here in LA. The Screen Actors Guild has been on strike since mid-July after talks broke down with big studios. They join Hollywood writers on the picket line who have now been on strike for almost three months. Hotel workers have been picketing throughout LA and Orange County since their contract expired on June 30th. They want fair wages to be able to afford to live where they work. And fast food workers walked out for one day on July 12th for better wages and safer working conditions. And Teamsters at UPS have been hard at work getting strike ready across the country. But the strike may not happen after all. Union negotiators have finalized a tentative agreement with management. But some workers say the races don't go far enough, and they're encouraging others to vote no on the agreement. Members will vote on it starting August 3rd. In downtown LA, abolitionist activists shut down the LA County Board of Supervisors meeting last week. Organizers from the Youth Justice Coalition and other groups stood up and began shouting, free our youth and shut it down. Protesters were demanding that the board declare a state of emergency inside the probation camps and that they decarcerate all eligible youth. The demand comes as the public learns more about the inhumane and deplorable conditions inside the camps. That includes rampant sexual assaults of minors and a recent drug overdose. The population inside these camps are usually between the ages of 12 to 20 years old. Following the protest last week, the suits went into closed session and everyone was forced to leave the boardroom. LA County reporter Ashley Orona was there and was able to capture this audio. We must love and protect one another. We must love and protect one another. We have nothing to lose but our chains. We have nothing to lose but our chains. And we've got some good news for tenants living at Hillside Villa, the low-income apartment complex in Chinatown. A judge in San Bernardino says she's probably going to give the City of LA a permit to enter the property in order to inspect it. She has asked officials and the landlord to appear in court in October to work out the details. The city says it needs to inspect the property in order to decide whether to buy it. Tenants say their landlord, Tom Bott, has increased rent up to 300% after an agreement expired that required bots to keep rents affordable. They have called on the city to seize the building using eminent domain. Bot says he won't sell Hillside Villa no matter what the city does. And an update on the trial of former council member Jose Wisad, also known as Sleazy Weezy. In January, Wisad finally, finally pled guilty to racketeering. 
basically selling out his district to luxury developers in exchange for envelopes of cash and trips to Las Vegas, amongst other favors. Now, another developer indicted in the scheme has been sentenced. Dayong Lee has been sentenced to six years in federal prison and a $750,000 fine. His development company was also fined over $1.5 million. Lee was convicted of paying Wisad a $500,000 bribe. That money was to smooth over a labor dispute at a property Lee was developing in downtown LA, which is so shady. Also, we'd love to include community updates in the headlines. And luckily for you, you can call them in. Are you a worker on strike? Is there something going on in your community that you want people to know about? You can leave us a voicemail at 323-200-9539, and we might feature it on the podcast. And now, let's get on with the show. We're going to dedicate most of the show today to one segment. We're calling it Renter's Hotline. You know those advice shows that were on every radio station? Maybe you grew up listening to them. I still remember tuning into this one show on K-Rock when I was a teenager. It was called Love Line, and it aired at night from 10 p.m. to midnight. That's how you know it was juicy. Love Line may contain sexually oriented content. content. I would make sure to claim the portable radio we shared as a family. I would bring the radio with me to bed and wait until the clock struck 10. Coast to coast. Hey, Luckily for me, our mom slept with the TV on. So I didn't really have to sneak around to listen. I just had to stay awake. And the thing that made me stay awake was the expert advice. Just come on. Come over Saturday night. Like there was a literal doctor answering people's questions with facts. Roger, you're 18. What's up? Um, my stepfather has been purchasing with um, marijuana joints and money, uh, my Ritalin. You mean he's trading you marijuana for Ritalin? Yeah, like a joint for us. He's your stepfather? Yeah. Sometimes you've got a problem where you just need help from an expert. And that's what we're going to be doing on today's show. We're going to bring you expert help for tenants which is most of you since Los Angeles is a city of renters. Every now and then we're going to be inviting a listener to call in and get advice about a housing issue. And today on the show, in our first edition of Renters Hotline, we're joined by our first tenant, Paulina, who lives in West Adams. We're also joined by Stefano Medina, a housing lawyer. He currently works at Public Council, where he represents community organizations against gentrification and also defends tenant protection laws against landlords. Before law school, Stefano worked as a community organizer in the Bay and Los Angeles. Hey, guys. Hi. Hi. Paulina, can you tell us a bit about your housing situation and what neighborhood you're in? Yeah, of course. So I live in the upstairs unit of a property that has five units. So there's five um, apartments. It's a really old building, just like from the 30s. And we've been there for about a year and a half. Awesome. And word on the street is that you've been having uh, some issues with lead paint. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so the other day, maybe like, 
two month, two or three months ago, I ran into our downstairs neighbors and our downstairs neighbors have a one-year-old and he had just gone to the doctor and uh, his mom, the my neighbor, was like, yeah, the doctor says that he has lead poisoning <laughs> from our apartment, from like the the flecks of paint that are like coming off of the windows, mostly like the window frames and the door frames. And um, that, I, I don't know the details, but like that it had somehow triggered uh, an LA health department like investigation into the lead in the building, but they only went to their apartment. And so we have like the same exact window frames and door frames and like paint color and everything. So, so yeah, I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> wow. So Stefano, what would you recommend Paulina do about the situation? Well, you know, um, like you said, I'm a housing lawyer and that means, um, well, I mean, sometimes I have good news and sometimes I have bad news. Uh, mm. it's, I mean, the, it's mostly bad news. Um, lead is pretty bad for you. It's pretty poisonous. We've known for over 50 years now how dangerous lead is. It's especially dangerous for children six and under, but it's, it's an extremely toxic chemical for almost everybody. It's been illegal to use lead-based paint in the United States since 1978. And so you might wonder... You might even assume, like I think a lot of people assume, oh, there's lead in my apartment. I should tell my landlord, and I'm sure that the landlord will be required by law to get all the lead out of my apartment. But unfortunately, neither California nor federal law require a landlord to remove lead from an apartment. Tenants don't really have rights about lead versus their landlord. Um... In most cases, until someone has actually experienced lead poisoning. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, so what about this baby? I mean, our neighbors experienced it. As far as I know, she hasn't, the landlord hasn't done anything to their apartment. Like, definitely not to ours. But, like, I don't think she's even done anything in theirs, which is kind of wild. So the laws that do exist, the requirements that landlords do have when it comes to lead is, first, they have to tell you everything they know. Another requirement, I mean, it's very dangerous to work with with lead-based paint. It's very dangerous to try to fix the problem on your own. Basically, lead-based paint is not dangerous um, if it's in pristine, perfect condition. And we all know that um, mm. there are a lot of ways in which paint can deteriorate. And the landlord mm. actually can't fix the, uh, the job themselves either. There was a law passed in California uh, just two years ago that strengthened the requirements that have already that have existed for a long time, that if a landlord is going to uh, remediate a lead-based paint in a unit, they have to use a special type of contractor, someone who has a license. So there's no actual mm. requirement that a landlord do this, but if they do it, it's going to be more expensive. So then how do you get your landlord to actually uh, do this? One thing you can do, and it sounds like what's happened in Paulina's case, is reach out to your local public health department. And they do tend to be a little bit more proactive about sending an investigator to do something like this. Uh, the public mm -hmm. health department can and often will order a landlord to, um, to fix this problem. But you know, what happens if the landlord doesn't? Uh, nothing for a very long time. Mm -hmm. uh, Another thing you can do uh, is sue your landlord. And you can sue your landlord um, 
just because there's lead-based paint there. Every landlord, whether we're talking about lead, whether we're talking about mold, whether we're talking about bed bug infestations, every landlord is required to rent a place that's safe for you to live. Full stop. If it's not safe for you to live, then the landlord is breaking the law by renting it to you. So you could sue your landlord and ask a, a, a judge somewhere to force your landlord to fix this problem. And that's a lawsuit that you're you know likely to win. But the courts that we have in California are made for rich people who have problems with other rich people. So it would take uh, a, yeah. a, lot, a lot of time and effort that people uh, don't have uh, to go to the courts and, uh, and, and try to get this problem solved on your own. Um, another thing you can do is organize. But that's also not easy. That's also not a, a quick fix. But it's often more fun. Uh, the power is in your hands rather than the Department of Public Health. And there are a lot of ways you can pressure a landlord to do things that they're supposed to be doing if you're organized. Um, but like any lawyer uh, would say, I think the first thing that any tenant should do is tell their landlord in a letter. Tell them what you found, when you found it, who you think is at risk. Because what that letter does is it proves the earliest date when the landlord unequivocally knew about the problem. Yeah. Yeah. That was great advice. So, Paulina, um, I know I know the situation with the lead in your apartment is wild. And you also shared that that's not the only issue, right, that's happening um, in your building. I know on the day that you moved into the property, there was a fire on the top floor, <laughs> which, yeah. Can you tell us about, about that, like? That's like the day you moved in. I know, I know. It's so crazy. We walked into the unit and hadn't even turned any light switches on, hadn't moved anything in. We had all our stuff on like the dry in like the driveway. And we went upstairs, basically like the attic. And then my boyfriend is like, I feel like it smells like smoke. And I was like, whatever, you're being paranoid. And then like a couple of minutes later, he's like, no, like, look, the there's like a beam that's getting smoked like smoke was coming out of like a hole in the wall where like a beam was going into the into the wall like a an exposed beam and the exposed beam was getting like smoke stains like black soot was like covering this beam and so we were like what the hell and shut down all the breakers because the like electrical box was right there and it's a embarrassing to admit because it's like the kind of thing that like now I feel like in retrospect, I'm like I should have called the fire department or something. But like we called the property manager at the time, like, oh, there's smoke. Like, what do we do? Um, and he sent like eventually sent the handyman who like cut the wire, kind of like cut like the leftover electrical wires in the wall that weren't connected to anything anymore that were like smoldering. And then at that point, like the the landlord at the time kind of like, said that he, he like sent the handyman again a couple of times and like told told us that they had like f hidden away the wires or like checked that there were no more wires blah 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 and then that was it and then for for months we lobbied that landlord to check the electrical systems because we're like it's just such an old building maybe how do we know there aren't any other wires in the wall that are like ready to smolder and um that landlord ended up selling the place to the current landlord who we told all this to 
And she said that she was going to update all the panels in all five units, including the panel that's outside the building because it's also outdated. But we haven't had anything done in our unit. I also don't know anything about electricity, so like I don't know what I'm supposed to be asking for, but nothing's been done basically in our unit about the smoke. Wow. Stefano, (laughs) any advice in terms of dealing with fire hazards? Anything in terms of like individual actions or collective actions that um, Paulina could take or folks could take? Well, um, sorry that's happening, Paulina, but um, it's not random. And I think that's maybe the first thing. I don't know if that's going to make you feel better or worse, but there's just a long history of... Uh, exactly what you're describing, these really? uh, electrical fires in West Adams, in Pico Union, in Westlake. Mike Davis wrote Whoa. a lot about it. Uh, rest in peace. Yeah, and it's ironic because we live in a city, in a part of the world where we talk a lot about fire. And this was true 100 years ago, and it's true today, is there's there's just been a history of the fire department and building and safety in Los Angeles really not enforcing basic fire safety codes in neighborhoods that are predominantly low income, predominantly occupied by people of color. Um, every uh, building in uh, Los Angeles is supposed to have an inspection. It's called a SCEP inspection. And it's supposed to happen every few years, but not even that happens because we don't fund things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, a hack that um, uh, I share with people is that it's actually pretty easy to get a SCEP inspection, S-C-E-P. If you email uh, your council office, if you just find the name or the email address for a field deputy in a council office, but... um, it all comes back with problems like this to, yeah, it's very, it's almost impossible to get a problem like this fixed by yourself. Um, because like what has happened to you, mm-hmm. uh, landlords can just keep ignoring individual people uh, complaining, even when, like in your case, it's clearly some, yeah. that, that could have been a life or death situation. That or they scapegoat you, right? Like, like both of my landlords so far have been like, well, what did you guys have plugged in? (laughs) And we're like, literally nothing. We had just walked in. But also I shouldn't be answering this question. That's not really the problem. No, that's not not what's going on. I mean, what's going on is, like I mentioned, there's a long history of this kind of fire danger in these types of neighborhoods. But going, you know, fast forwarding to now, landlords have been uh, living with COVID-19 tenant protections, although they just expired, Mm. but those lasted for a long time. And even though they were popular with most people and necessary for public health and saved probably tens of thousands of lives, landlords have been pretty petty about the situation. And the one thing that they have done across the board is just refuse to do these kinds of basic repairs. In their mind, they have told themselves, hey, I'm not getting rent. I'm getting less rent. Why am I going to spend money uh, doing these repairs? Um, Mm -hmm. So that is, you know, what's happening to you is something that I hear every day. I mean, it makes so much sense. It's so interesting because, like, you observe these things and then to hear someone else reflect it to you, you're like, oh, I wasn't, like, going, it wasn't, like, in my head. That's so crazy. 
But it's funny you mentioned that um, landlords are like using the COVID protections as excuses. There's five units in my, in my, um, in on the property, and the few times that we've tried to talk to our landlord and and like like get these things on paper and email and get on the phone with her and all this stuff, she'll be, she'll often say like, oh well, there's this one unit that isn't paying their rent. Yeah. And so I can't, my hands are tied. Yeah. But it's like, so she's dividing us and like, it feels really shitty. Like that's, that wasn't my intention. And like, that's another thing is like, I'm wondering like, what could I be doing? Yeah. Because it seems like we're probably all emailing her. I imagine the same thing. Like clearly all of these problems exist in the whole building. Well, I mean, first, uh, uh, yeah, of course you're feeling a little uh, guilty. It's normal. These people have a lot of power over us that we, in, in large part, because we let them. I I have heard a lot of tenants when I go into their build into their apartments and point out gross code violations. I've heard a lot of tenants over the past few years say, "Yes, but I haven't been able to pay the rent, so this is fair," and it's not fair. Mm. But you mm-hmm. were mentioning your neighbors and and how you're curious uh yeah just i think we need to start saying hello to the people who live um uh next to us the two best strategies that i have seen people use over the past 10 years to get their first tenant union tenant association meeting is cook something you love your favorite thing to cook that tastes good and uh, invite your neighbors over to eat it or do it in the courtyard, do it in the back, have a barbecue. Food works. Food is great. The other thing to do is tell your neighbors that someone is going to come to the meeting to talk about your rights. Um, I wish there were more housing lawyers in L.A. I guess I'll do it. I do a lot of that. Uh, you know, I guess I, I do do a lot of that. But um, Stefano is always <clears throat> inviting to the carne asada. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I go, I go, I eat well, man. I eat well. But um, I know that other tenant organizations will gladly send someone at least to the first meeting. And then if you tell your neighbors that there's someone who, someone who knows who's going to come and share resources and knowledge, you're going to get people to show up. So between mm-hmm. cooking and, and you know, inviting the nonprofit industrial complex into your home, you're likely <laughs> to have uh, a successful uh, meeting. And I think at that meeting, the pitch is we can't solve these problems by ourselves. But there are things that you can do that are often the exact same thing that you're already doing, like calling your landlord, like sending an email. But what if everybody was calling? Right. If you were all doing it every day for a week, problems would get addressed in many cases. And I feel like, Stefano, you're going into something we wanted to talk about, too, which is that from your work with the LA Tenants Union and just being an on-the-ground lawyer at all the carnesadas, uh, like, what are some of the tactics that you've seen that have worked? Calling, if everyone calls once a day, that's going to do something. Um 30 to 40% of the time, that's going to do something. I'm a kind of, I mean, I'm trying to be less of an angry person every day and organize more from a place of love. Uh, and uh, so uh, I guess now what I tell people is maybe not be so hostile right away because I have messed up before. I have been 
too angry too soon and the, uh, the landlord who ultimately is a human being which isn't to say anything good about them which is to say that they are like just as imperfect as everyone else invite the landlord to one of the food things you know feed the landlord uh if you guys can get along then that's uh that's a better place to start from but um you know uh from the angry toolkit things that i have seen work and that i have liked are hey man go to their house ring on the doorbell let's say hey uh can i um um speak to so and so go to the office all of you all of you go to the house all of you go to the office go more than once they're on the board of a foundation just say, hey, I'm just trying to get in touch with this person. We're dealing with this problem. You know, you don't have to say, hey, do you know that your fellow board member is a dirtbag? <laughs> That's implied. That's implied. That's just giving. <laughs> Everything I've described so far involves no legal risk, really. Mm. And so that's why that's those are good things to try. You, there are things you could do to escalate, um, but those do involve um, some legal risk. I've been involved in rent strikes, um, things like that. And those work too, but that's another level. Yeah, so one thing I wanted to know about Paulina's uh, situation is, especially with the, electric, with the electrical fire, right, with electricity, is, is that a certain kind of code violation um, that you know of? Yeah, I mean, there's a long list of things that are code violations, things that you would expect, like the building might burn down. But also, uh, a very common one is window screens that are missing. <gasps> I have a ton of missing window screens. Yeah, those are all illegal and you shouldn't be paying your rent until they get fixed. Um, There's one that's like halfway there and it flaps in the wind and all the pigeons come and take it so they can make their nests out of it. That's cute, but illegal. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So there are things. Maybe one day I'll write them all down. But, uh, <laughs> but, for the, but um, rather than reciting them all from my head if something is dangerous it's a it's a code violation so what do you do if there's a code violation you know there's the bureaucratic route i i guess do recommend people to reach out to the los angeles housing department but mostly because it couldn't hurt i've never seen the housing department in los angeles run to the rescue but yeah the, uh, uh, that's a code violation and if there's a code violation you are legally entitled to withhold rent um but like with everything, you have to write a letter first. You have to tell your landlord. You can't withhold rent over something you haven't told your landlord about. Mm -hmm. But so long as you've written a, a letter and requested a repair, if there's something like that, then yeah, pay $100 less next month. That'll get, that'll get their attention. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, this isn't the first thing I said because there's some legal risk involved. They can evict you for whatever they want. They can take that to the court and the judge will rubber stamp it. And there's no one, there's no guardian angel at any point in our judicial system that's going to stop a, a landlord from evicting someone for an illegal reason. But if they try to evict you for it and you show up to your court date or you get a lawyer, all you have to do is point to this law or say, uh, Your Honor or uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, um, I didn't pay that $100 because the building was going to burn down. And if you don't believe me, here's the letter I wrote. And here's the picture I took. And here are some videos. Awesome. 
Thanks, Paulina, for sharing and for being brave enough to ask these questions, right, that people have been wanting to ask and just haven't had the courage to do so. So even just asking the question, y'all, is is, is powerful, right? Um, um, yeah, thanks, Stefano, for providing your awesome advice and insight. Oh, and before we go, a quick disclaimer from Stefano. I should also make a disclaimer disclaimer none of this is legal advice this is everything i have shared and will share is just general advice uh we're hearing from paulina's situation as an example of what i'm sure a lot of people are going through uh paulina if you want legal advice uh we should have a private conversation but i've tried to share everything uh in a way that would be uh, helpful for everybody That was Stefano Medina giving advice to Paulina, a tenant who lives in West Adams. If you'd like to be a guest on Renters Hotline, you can email us at smoglandradio at alleypublicpress.org, or you can leave us a voicemail at 323-200-9539. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be right back. And this week in Venice with Vernal Gable. He's lived on the streets there for years. His encampment was swept away a couple months ago as part of a program called Insight Safe. You might have heard about this program, which was started by Mayor Karen Bass. The idea, supposedly, is to move unhoused residents from our LA streets into hotels and then permanent housing. So far, Elias reported that the city has spent $40 million dollars and has only brought 1,400 people indoors. And there have been lots of documented problems with the program. People have been asked to give up their belongings to move into hotels and then wait indefinitely for housing that may or may not come. And for now, the program also meant moving into a motel almost 15 miles away from Venice, the community he has grown to love. Vernal spoke to our reporter, Elizabeth Joe about how special Venice is to him. Venice is one of the best places in the world to be homeless at, the best place in the world to, uh, to mingle, to show your artistic uh, capabilities, and to grow up inside of it and become a gang member and learn from your mistakes, right? And you're out here on the block now doing something better than you was then when you was a kid because, yeah, that too, that too, that part too. Venice is a melting pot. Venice is a place where everybody can come to and get on and come to that beach out there and it was, it's no, without judging you by the race. We had a music was on the beach with the, everybody out there dancing with drums and everything, and ain't nobody tripping off nobody. Color, where you from, it's just all races out there together partying. Ain't nobody trying to kill nobody, everybody trying to fight nobody, everybody trying to hurt nobody. Everybody was just out there having fun. Venice is about Muscle Beach. Venice is about graffiti on the wall. Venice is about, it's about the man with the white hat on, rolling on roller skates. Venice is about some of the hardest hustling white girls I've ever seen in my life out here. That's what Venice is about. Down to earth ass white girls. Real down to earth ass white boys. Venice got that like nobody else. Venice ain't see me Valley. See me Valley got a different type of 
person there. You know, Venice is not a, a, a Calabasas. You know, Venice is Venice. It's different from anywhere in the world. You come here, and everybody can have refuge here, no matter where they come. It's like, that's America. Venice is America. Yeah, Venice is America. Smogland Radio is produced by Phoenix So and Carla Green. I'm your host, Nancy Mesa. We're a production of Alley Public Press, a nonprofit newsroom for Los Angeles. Eduardo Arenas made our music, and Jaime Zacarias made our show art. Special thanks to Stefano Medina and the Robinson Space. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. Also, we're a newsroom funded entirely by donations. If you like the work that we do, you can support us by becoming a member at alleypublicpress.org slash donate. You can also support us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or following us on social media. We're on all platforms at Alley Public Press. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you right back here in a couple of weeks for our next episode. <laughs>